as Christmas is uh, drawing closer, and as we have Luke opened up, I want to ask you, in, in all your years, in all your Christmases, have you ever received a Christmas gift that surprised you? Now, I, I'm not talking about a gift that you asked for and then were surprised to receive. You know how that goes. I really, 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 really want X for Christmas. And then you fast forward to Christmas morning after every other present's been unwrapped. And wait a second, there's one more package under the tree. Could it be? You open it and yes, I can't believe you actually got this for me. I'm not talking about that kind of surprise. <laughs> That's the kind of surprise that advertisers, especially those who are selling cars or diamond jewelry, want you to experience. That's what they try to orchestrate for December 25th. For, and for many, this is what would, they would define as the unexpected Christmas present. What I'm talking about is the kind of gift that you hoped for, but when you received it, <laughs> almost from the minute you unwrapped it, you quickly realized you had no idea what you were getting. Have you ever received a present like that? Well, the truth is, we all have. The first gift of Christmas was exactly like that. Not quite what anyone expected. Way more than anyone could have imagined. It was the kind of gift that changes things. Changes everything. Just ask Mary. From Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are two kinds of waiting at Christmas. The first kind of waiting, as I alluded to earlier, is waiting for something that we specifically know is coming. The day, the hour, we know who will be there, we know the plan, we know what we're waiting for, and for the most part, everything happens according to plan. Now, as we talked about last week, this kind of waiting is what is the typical approach to the holiday. It's this kind of waiting that's about making Christmas happen ensuring that it all comes off the way that it was planned. But in truth, biblically, Advent waiting is different. It's just the opposite. Advent waiting is preparing for the unexpected. 
If Christmas, going back to last week, isn't something we make happen, if it was in the beginning and ever shall be until the very end something that happens to us, then Christmas is about expecting the unexpected. It's being surprised. It's realizing that we didn't even know what we were waiting for. And what we see here in Luke is this is exactly what happens to Mary. You know, we don't know very much about Mary of Nazareth. We don't know her age, though we assume, like most girls her age, she was probably less than 20 when she became engaged to Joseph. Probably way less than 20. We don't know her parents' names, though Luke tells us she's somehow related to Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah, the priest. We don't know her specific hopes and dreams. But we can safely assume that Mary, like her fellow Israelites, with the words of the prophets firmly in mind, had grown up expecting a powerful rescuer, a heroic leader from David's lineage. Like her ancestors, she was probably waiting for a heaven-sent warrior king who would cleanse the land of its Roman occupiers. Mary was waiting for something, this we know. But she didn't know the specifics, only the general contours. Like her fellow Israelites, Mary was expecting a savior. But she never could have expected. She never could have expected that she, an unmarried peasant girl from a rural town of fewer than 500 inhabitants, would be the bearer of this news, of this incredible gift. Mary was looking for an heir to the throne of David, indeed. But she never could have anticipated that she would be holding her promised redeemer in her hands keeping him warm that first night in a feeding trough, nursing him among livestock. Mary, like the rest of her people, envisioned the rise of a great conqueror, but she never could have imagined that it would be her child, her son that she would raise to maturity, that, and that his final victory would come not from the blood of his enemies, but the giving of his own blood on a cross, Calvary. Beloved, the story of Mary is the story of Christmas. The story of a God who delights in doing what he promises, but always doing so in surprising ways. Christmas is the realization that the greatest gift ever is the most unexpected of all. The promised gift of God is not the lifting of the earth towards heaven. It's the startling announcement of heaven's impending visit to earth. No more messengers. No more stand-ins. The Messiah will be Emmanuel, God in the flesh. How close will God come? You are to call him Jesus. Jesus, the name itself means Yahweh saves. He will be as close as the world's never-ending struggles and injustices. He will be as close as the ancient promises and cherished hopes of the faith. How close will heaven be? The Lord is with you, Mary, as close as Mary's womb. The Lord is with you, the very name Emmanuel itself in the declaration to Mary. God with us. He will be as close, this God will be as close as our own flesh attached to our bones. Beloved, Mary's story isn't just the story of how God once returned to an ancient people. 
The angel Gabriel speaks not only to Mary, but to each one of us today. It is the revelation of how Jesus, the Son of God, breaks into our reality, the reality of modern people like us. The Christmas story is the announcement that heaven has arrived on our front porch and is seeking admission into our lives. And Jesus, year in, year out, day after day, continues to make a home among the willing. We hear this and maybe like Mary, this kind of throws us a little bit. Perhaps our response to this kind of unexpected news that suddenly the wall of the dimension of the Bible is coming out and Gabriel is no longer speaking to Mary and we're observers, but Mary is being addressed along with us by this angel. And perhaps like Mary, we find this news to be too much and we say, and we just mumble out as she does, how can this be? Luke's description of Mary's reaction to this announcement indicates she's completely caught off guard. She is unsettled, trembling, confused. Mary may be a teenager, but she knows how babies work. She's a virgin, so this makes no sense. And more than this, Mary probably doesn't get how this involves a person like her. The Messiah isn't supposed to come from her belly. She comes from the wrong side of town, didn't you know? That backwater town called Nazareth, and we all know that nothing good comes from Nazareth. The Messiah isn't supposed to be born of an unwed peasant girl who's engaged to be married to another man. If you will, if we step back before the angel Gabriel shows up, Mary, if we didn't know her, is the poster child of ordinary. The poster child of insignificance and weakness. By all accounts, without this story, she's just, as many might perceive her, another cog in the wheel. Another face in the crowd. Nothing special. But what Mary comes to learn the greatest surprise of Christmas that we are all meant to learn is that this is exactly the sort of place where God shows up. The places we least expect. It is through ordinary, everyday people like us that Jesus comes, that salvation is born, that the good news begins. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'll ask you a question that maybe hasn't crossed your mind this year. Or, or yet, where is the Lord surprising you? Where is God delivering the unexpected in your life this Christmas? Like Mary, we hear the announcement of the Christmas message and it doesn't make sense. We're not sure, as I say, how are we being surprised? How is the unexpected being born in our lives in Jesus Christ? We hear this and we, don't, we hear this good news and we're not sure how this is supposed to take shape in our lives. And that's exactly where God wants us to be because in truth, there was for Mary and there is for us no earthly way that Christmas can happen. There is no earthly way that Christmas can happen. And so like Mary, in our bewilderment, we are invited into the mystery of what happens when heaven comes to earth. As the angel declares to her and to us yet again, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. There's no explaining this. This Holy Spirit. Many of us don't talk about the Holy Spirit in church because we just cannot understand the Holy Spirit. There's no explaining this power of the Spirit. But we've seen this power at work before. 
When the Holy Spirit created life from chaos, once again we find ourselves back at the beginning of where we started this Advent season. Because the same Spirit that hovered over the waters at the beginning of creation hover over the waters of Mary's womb. In the beginning, with God's word and through the power of the Spirit, a formless chaos became the site of new life. And here again, by the word of the Lord and through the coming of the Spirit, a new creation in Jesus Christ will emerge out of Mary's empty womb. (laughs) There's no explaining this. We still have people today who the stumbling block for them is, how could she be a virgin? There's no explaining this. We just have to embrace the mystery of Christmas. We have to embrace the mystery that goes well beyond. If you're struggling with Mary's virginity, I got another one for you. Because when heaven returned, God wrapped himself not just in Mary's flesh, but in our flesh. That's the declaration of Christmas. You're struggling with Mary's virginity. Struggle with that. That this God wraps himself not just in her flesh, but in our flesh. For we are the body of Christ. We entered those same waters at our baptism and emerged to new life in Christ. And the mystery of Christmas, like the mystery of baptism, is more than an event, more than a day. Martin Luther put it like this. A Christian life is nothing else than a daily baptism, once begun and ever continued. Beloved, with Jesus, all of life is our baptism into new life. In Christ, every day is Christmas. We are always being submerged in the waters of the unexpected, always being surprised and being created anew. Are we willing, in hearing this news, beloved, are we willing to let God dwell in the sometimes uncomfortable closeness of our hearts, of our minds, of our hopes? Are we willing to be a womb for Jesus? Because at the end of the day, willingness is all that matters. Willingness, the surrender, the submission of our will is all that matters. But more on that in a moment. And you hear that all that matters is willingness. Does that strike a chord? Because does Christmas, as it comes this year, as it came last year, as it'll come next year, does Christmas mirror every other day of your life with God? Does Christmas mirror every other day and that life is marked by excuses and delays? In the midst of the announcement of God with us, are we consumed by excuses and delays? We're too busy. You know, I have these things going on in my life, these commitments, these circumstances, so I really don't have time for surprises. I really don't have time for the unexpected. You know, perhaps I'll be ready next year. You know, once I figure out my life, then I can start welcoming what God wants to do in my life. You know, once I finish school, once I find the right job, once the rush at work settles down, you know, once I fix that relationship, once we start a family, once our kids grow up, you know, once I learn more about the Bible, once, you know, I have more time to pray about it, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. Does Christmas, the busyness, the hectic pace mirror every day of your life where before the invitation of God, the declaration of the angel, you say, I'm just too busy? Maybe next year. If that's your Christmas story, if that's the story of your life, well, hold on for another surprise. Ready or not, 
Christmas comes. Jesus is born. God shows up in our lives. I don't know if you catch this, but by her own account, Mary isn't ready. And yet, I don't know if you caught this, but Mary's not ready, and yet Gabriel doesn't ask her permission. Perhaps one of the most scandalous and unexpected parts of this story is that Gabriel doesn't ask, will you do this, Mary? Gabriel simply announces, this will happen. Beloved, Jesus comes even if we don't think that we're ready. Jesus comes anyway, even if it doesn't make any sense. Even if we doubt, Jesus comes anyway, even if we're too busy. Even if we don't make the time to receive him. God doesn't wait. God doesn't wait because God knows that he's already given us all that we need. That word again, grace. Grace is all about God taking care of everything. Providing all that we need to receive new life, all that we need to embrace new possibilities. With grace, it's not about being ready. With grace, it's not about being ready. It's about being willing. Are you willing to be a womb for Christ? Are you willing to unwrap the gift of Jesus? Mary may be terrified. Mary may not fully understand the most unexpected news that no doubt she's ever heard. Mary may not believe that she is ready for this surprising gift, but Mary was willing. So she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Confronted by the news that will disrupt the course of her life, Faced with a gift that will radically change her expectations of what is normal? Anticipating the challenge of being an unwed mother in the eyes of society? Realizing the risk that her future marriage might be off? That she could be stoned to death for adultery? Mary remains willing. Willingly, the Lord's servant. If you will, she lets God get under her skin. Are we willing to let God get under our skin? We all want the gifts of Christmas. I don't think anybody here would say, ah, no, we don't need that. We all want the gifts of Christmas. We all want God to heal our world. We all, I mean, who doesn't want peace on earth? Anyone going to raise their hand for that? Who doesn't desire goodwill toward men? We want God to fulfill our hopes. We want God to give us faith. We want God to shower us with a love that will never fail. But are we willing to be vessels of such gifts? Are we willing to let Jesus inhabit our flesh? Be careful what you hope for. The gift of Jesus will change how we think how we live, how we act, it'll shatter your sense of normal. Like Mary, if you embrace Jesus, your life will be disrupted. Your life will be noticeably changed. We will face risks. We will not fit in. Our words and actions will be deemed scandalous. We will sound crazy, particularly among our own people, particularly within the church. 
Because just as it was in Mary's day, so it is today. We have a lot of comfortable people in church who aren't looking to be surprised, who aren't looking for the unexpected. And if we receive this God, this Jesus, it's going to turn our world upside down. And we will stand out. Now, if you think I'm being overly dramatic, there Pastor Chris goes again. If this sounds like I'm just, you know, overemphasizing something, skip a few verses here in chapter 1 if you still have it open. Skip a few verses if you think I'm being overly dramatic and listen to Mary sing. Mary's song, a song of praise, reads very much like the Psalms. It's known, as you probably have heard, as the Magnificat from that first word in the song, from the Latin. And it's been put, into, put to music many, many times. It's been read and said over and over again. For centuries, scholars and everyday people like you and me around the world have found Mary's lyrics here to be some of the most revolutionary ever expressed. Let's take a little sampling here. From verse 47, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent away the rich empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers." In this song of Mary, God announces a hostile takeover, a changing of the order of things. These words reveal how the coming of heaven reshapes the ways of earth. The comfortable and complacent scattered, rulers brought down from their thrones, the humble lifted up, the hungry fed, the oppressed vindicated, the rich bankrupted. This isn't the stuff of safe, warm and fuzzy holiday cards, TV specials and shopping malls. These are revolutionary ideas. These are words that shift, profoundly shift, how we see the world, how we see our own lives. Mary's song makes it clear that the coming of Jesus, the bringing of heaven to earth, is not a gift that will just sit on a shelf or be brought out every once in a while. A gift like that, a God like this, is going to radically alter our lives. Because, beloved, as we've seen from the very beginning of our journey through Advent, God created a world that was intended to have no injustice, a world in which heaven and earth were not meant to be so far apart. And in Jesus, God is closing the gap forever, righting what has been so terribly wrong, bringing an end to the things that hurt us, the things that break our heart, enabling those who are suffering evil and injustice to finally have their day. In Jesus, through Mary, through us, God is bringing heaven back to earth. And when this happens, it always turns the world upside down. It always turns the world upside down. So I ask us again, my brothers and sisters in Christ, beloved in Christ, 
The Lord is with you. The Lord is with us. How are the realities of heaven on earth being manifest in your life? People are wondering if there is a heaven, wondering if they can see it, if they can find it. And God is saying, the Lord is with you. Where are the realities of heaven being birthed, being revealed in our lives? Because Mary's song is a prelude. It's a prelude to the entire gospel. When the baby grows up into a man, when Jesus comes back to his own hometown, Mary's hometown, these lyrics will be ones that he's singing the first time he preaches. Right out of Isaiah. The shattering, the earth-shattering surprise of Christmas is that God came not to shop, but to save. Jesus came not to sell, but to serve. To bring heaven into our midst by becoming poor. I know it's repetitive, but I have to repeat it because I, doesn't, I don't get it. The maker of billions of stars. Did you see that eclipse the other night? The maker of billions of stars. The Lord over all the planets. The owner of the cosmos chose to become a penniless, powerless, homeless child on this tiny sphere. This God is willing to go to any lengths to have us back to give us the gift of salvation, the riches of grace and forgiveness, the precious hope of eternal life, any lengths. Beloved, the unexpected declaration of Christmas is that this message, this is a message, this is a gift for those who don't deserve it. For everyone. But it is a gift that is only received by those willing, willing to become poor themselves. Jesus will later say, for yours, yours is the kingdom of heaven. For yours is the kingdom of heaven appeals not to the already rich, not to the already happy. God in a manger doesn't get noticed by those looking in store displays or those who are content in the warmth and safety of their own houses and kingdoms. When heaven came down to earth, Jesus could have been born in the home of the high priest. He could have been born in the mansion of Herod the Great. He could have been born in the palace of Caesar Augustus. But instead, the Lord sent a messenger to a village so small, it's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. Did you know that? It's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in any other book outside of Luke or the Gospels in the New Testament. And this gift comes to a peasant girl. My brothers and sisters in Christ, the true spirit of Christmas, the true and revolutionary spirit of Christmas is that we receive in order to give. We don't give in order to receive. Earning our gifts from others by sacrificing ourselves. Earning our gifts from others by sacrificing ourselves first. No, mm -mm. That's not the biblical message of Christmas. We don't give in order to receive. And it's not, like your mama told you, better to give than it is to receive. Because that sounds good in theory, but that kind of gets back to where we were last week. When we tell ourselves it's better to give than to receive, we're telling ourselves we don't need anything at Christmas. And how many of us, is this is our mantra to our kids, when people ask, oh, I don't need anything. I'm good. I got everything I need. It's all about the giving. I just love giving to people. That's why I want to be a giver. 
I don't need anything. Don't give me anything. I don't need anything. Think about that. Think about what you're saying. Let me say it again. I said it two weeks in a row. There is no Christmas for the self-sufficient. You don't need Christmas if you're self-sufficient. So when you're saying, I don't need anything, hear that the true spirit of Christmas, the revolutionary spirit of Christmas, is that we receive in order to give. We can't divorce what we offer to others from what we have first received in Christ. We must first receive the gift of Jesus, the gift of grace, in order to have anything to give away. Our God, through Mary and in Christ, became poor so that we might become rich. The gift of Jesus sets an example of how to serve. Jesus will point to this later to his own disciples. His grace gives us something to offer others. And so I ask us in the midst of where is heaven amidst our lives on earth, I ask us this, what does our celebration of Christmas say about us? Not them, us. What does our celebration of Christmas say about us? Giving gifts is wonderful. It's awesome. But Christmas is more than shopping. It's more than stuff. It's about serving. And I can say that, but in this room, not out there, in this room, some of you will give to others because you feel guilty. Many of you will give because it makes you feel good. Some will give because they feel obligated. It's their duty. It's what we do. And a few of us will give because it's just darn good PR. Good PR at work, good PR at home, or worse, in our mind, good PR with God. Just making sure that I still got a place. Just making sure I'm covered. This Christmas, let's be surprised. This Christmas, let's embrace the unexpected. Because as hard as we may try, as prepared as we think we are, Jesus shows up in our lives in ways that we least expect. Whether or not we think we're ready, Christ comes anyway. Jesus is always bringing the kingdom of heaven into our world, whether we believe it or not. All we can do is be willing, praying the words of Mary, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. That's the prayer of Advent. And beloved, it's a prayer that takes a lifetime to learn. So as the day draws near, as the nights get longer, let us look to the manger. With the eyes of hope and faith, let us receive the grace that looms in the shadow of a cross. Let our giving to others this season come out of our knowledge and experience deep in our flesh and bones that God gave himself to us. God became poor for us in Jesus so that we could be rich in salvation, rich in the spirit, and out of these riches, out of what we have first received, let us give. Let us surprise. Let us serve others. Let us bring the unexpected. Let us carry Jesus into the world. Amen? Amen. Amen.